either through me or in spite of me, Lord, but just be free to speak to your people today and just um, ground them in your son and in the reality of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this class is the centrality of the cross, and so what we're supposed to be learning and discussing is how the cross is central. You know, so I could just tell you the cross is central, or I could have just, you know, assigned you to listen to Barbara Samuel's entire week, you know, of sharing. <laughs> and um, I was thrilled. I was totally pleased with, with what she shared. And she shared stuff besides about the centrality of the cross, but I don't know if you picked up on it, but she really, really drove that home well on, in more than one session. And I was so pleased because I feel like um, what the Lord has given me to share this term is, was a bit lacking. Like there was some holes in it and I wasn't satisfied with what he'd given me to share. And I could just say stuff, but if it's not spirit infused, then it's, it's just wasting everyone's time, you know, but I was pleased to see that the, the, the reason why the Lord didn't give me stuff is because he had stuff for Barbara to share too. And so it's important that more than one person is speaking the same thing and there's power in that and, um, there's fullness in that. And that's how the Lord works is through his body. So I don't want to cover, um, all the ground that she covered, um, intentionally, um, I'm going to probably spend most of the rest of the term dealing with specific areas that the cross addresses, okay, as opposed to saying, it really covers everything. It really does. It really, really does. Because she laid that out so well, generally speaking. She gave you the general, this is how the cross is central, that I can now go in and say, okay, this is the cross, the cross is central in reference to this, and it's central in reference to this. So we're going to look at specifics probably for the rest of my term. And so anyone who is listening to this recording, with, you know, for credit or just for kicks, um, I can recommend Barbara Samuel's um, class um, because it would go well hand in hand with this. So anyway, um, having said that, um, I do want to read one verse about the centrality of the cross here before I get started on other stuff. So why don't you turn uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first eight verses. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the princes of this age that come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages unto our glory, which none of the princes of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay. So God's wisdom is bound up in the cross. Okay. Everything. And what wisdom is, wisdom is how things work out. If you have wisdom on a matter, you know how something works and you know how to actually apply and live out the working. And that's wisdom. Okay. That's different from knowledge. You can know something, but not know how it all works out. Okay. But wisdom can actually apply the knowledge and the understanding, the mental grasp of it, and go do it and go live it. And that's wisdom. So God's wisdom, if you will, God's way of living is the cross. And when he wants to do something, he does it by the cross. Well, I would say that would be pretty central, eh? <laughs> that's pretty central. That um, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that believers have reduced the cross to 
um, something that we come to to get our sins forgiven and then we move on to deeper and more important things when the cross is the Lord's way of dealing and moving in the earth. It is his way. This is how he operates. It's his method, okay? Um, everybody has a way that they, they handle their life and they, hand, they tackle life's problems. Some people uh, are manipulators, okay? The way they approach challenging situations is by getting people to do what they want them to do for their benefit. That would be their wisdom or their way. Okay, they put guilt trips on people or they or they make you feel obligated, you know, somehow by, you know, some sneaky means so that you feel like you ought to do something for them or you're a bad person. They would be manipulating. Some people just steamroll you. They just they just, you know, know, they get they take what they want by being faster and stronger than everybody else. That is a way or a mode of operation or a method of dealing with life. Okay, Um some I know some girls who cry to get whatever they want. You know, they don't get their way. They just cry, and that makes everyone feel bad, and they want to pacify the situation. So we all have modes of dealing with stuff. Some of us just get too scared and overwhelmed. We just, you know, go in our room and shut the door and don't come out, and that would also be a way of dealing or not dealing. And I'm just giving these as just random examples of how flesh or people operate. Some people have to figure it all out. They can't be happy till they understand everything, why this happened, how this happened, who caused this to happen, what's the, you know, who made the decision, whose fault is it, whose credit is it, and how does this relate to the, and they have to, they have to understand and know. They have to know, they have to know, and it's not like, I want to know the Lord, it's like their mind is grasping and the mind has to be satisfied before they're going to operate or move. So that they're, that's how they handle things. They want to analyze it and pick it apart. Okay. God's way of approaching every situation that he comes across is the cross. That's his mode. So it's not just a one-time event that happened, though it is a one-time event that did happen and did manifest, but this is his way. (coughs) This is his wisdom. So it would follow that it would be central to how he relates to us as he's brought us into his relationship with him. Okay, So everything that has to do with our relationship with God, all things pertaining to us in Christ would be related somehow to the cross. That's his wisdom. That's how he operates. Part of uh, the renewing of the mind that happens in us as believers is that we begin to take on his mind and his way. Okay. Let me show you a way that um, the cross is God's wisdom. Let's turn over to Philippians, and I know this is a very well-read portion of Scripture in our particular fellowship, but we're going to read it again anyway. The Bible says it better than I do anyhow. Philippians 2, 1 through 8 or 9. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassions, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being the form of God, thought it not a thing to be grasped after, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became a Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. And we'll stop there. Um, Now, 
oftentimes we read this passage of scripture in reference to letting Christ live in us. Let this mind be in you. And that's true too, but we're not really looking at this passage right now with that at the forefront of our mind because we haven't built enough in this class to get to that point yet. We're just still talking about the very introductory aspect of the cross being central. We see here the cross is Jesus' wisdom. When he walked the earth, this is how he operated. When he came into a situation where there was um, something to be handled, (laughs) instead of gaining the mastery, okay, instead of um, dominating the opponent, okay, he chose to take the lower seat. And and it cost him his life. Okay, he, he did really believe... He wasn't being naive and stupid. He knew what was going on. He knew that if he, you know, let this mind live in him, that also, that ought to live in us as well, that this would be the result. He knew that. He knew that before he started. But this is his way of dealing with, you know, domination and hatred and people who are against him and whatnot. And I'm just, again, t- showing this to you, not at this point to say, well, you ought to let this work in you too. Though, as a believer, Paul does exhort us that this ought to work in us eventually. But right now we're just looking at that the cross is the wisdom of God, and if it's his wisdom, it is central to us because it is how he relates to us. It is how he deals with us by taking the lower seat. I don't think I mentioned this last class, and if I did, then someone can raise their hand and stop me. Did I read out of Revelation chapter 5, or does anyone even remember whether or not I did? Okay, well, I'm going to read it again then because it's it's... It uh, brings my point home again about the centrality of the cross. This is Revelation chapter 5. And we are picking up in the middle of a whole scene here in heaven, in the heavenlies. Um, there's a throne and there's all kinds of to-do going on around the throne. And there are elders and there are living creatures and, and um, <clears throat> whatnot. And here we have um, a new character starting in verse 6 of chapter 5. It says, and behold, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Um, and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And um, as we go through, if you read through the book of Revelation, this term lamb comes up again and again and again. And if any of you has a Strong's Concordance and just goes looks up lamb and looks up how many references are under the book of revelation for lamb that is the most used name for jesus i believe in the in the book of revelation is lamb and we see the lamb upon the throne we see him the only one able to open the scroll and read it and we begin to understand that the lamb who looks as though he has been slain speaks of christ and him crucified okay and that the fact that he sits upon a throne, as you would see in later verses in the book of Revelation, um, implies that this is how God governs. He rules by a cross, a crossed Christ, <laughs> if you want to put it like a crossified Christ. He doesn't rule by a Christ that has been untouched and is just, woohoo, you know, I'm the most powerful one, so I get to sit on the throne and you're obligated to serve me. This is not how he, although that is very true, that he is the strongest one and in, if you want to look at it that way, we are obligated to serve him. But he does not choose to operate. That is not, not his mode of operation. And the way that he deals with life and existence and the way that he is, is a crucified lamb sitting on a throne. And that's how he governs. Well, if you get to start thinking about that, that's pretty crazy. Because a lamb that's been slain doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, zip to be able to, like, keep the bad folks in line. You know, and doesn't know, isn't really able to... Um, 
have enough um, gumption and and um, strength to like whip the Stalins and Hitlers into shape and make sure the bad people pay for what they've done. I'm just I'm throwing some seeds out. We're not going to follow these thoughts entirely, but just consider this: that the Lamb sitting on the throne implies a, a, a means of government that makes him the servant of all, okay, and makes him um, to not resist evil and turn to the other cheek even when he's in charge. Now, it's one thing if you're at the bottom of the totem pole and you have to do it, you know, so you do it because you have to. But Jesus has every right to demand everyone's allegiance unquestioning because as he, being a member of the Godhead, is creator of the universe, he's obligated, I mean, we are obligated to him, but he does not relate to us as though we are obligated to him. He relates to us as the Lamb of God, a crucified Lamb, okay? This is the centrality that I'm speaking of. This is the wisdom of God. It is the ruling method of God is to have his lamb seated upon the throne. And um, you begin to see that uh, the way that the Lord does things is perhaps pretty different than maybe how we thought and definitely how we do things because I don't know about you, but it occurs to me that how the heck can the universe be held together if the guy who's in charge isn't resisting anything bad that's happening? And yet the one who holds the universe together is the lamb of God. <laughs> and, um, and it's not... The person who chooses to take the lower seat and turn the other cheek, he's not the crazy one, you know, in the midst of all and going swimming against the flow. It's the fallen creation that's swimming against the flow of God's nature and who he is. And if you're living, and this is a tangent, if you're living by the nature of the lamb, you're not swimming upstream. Okay, everyone else is. <laughs> you're going with the being that created the universe. You're going with the being who enacted the whole thing for his plan. Okay, the momentum is fully on the father's side. But it's a mystery to our minds. Our minds are blinded. And that brings up a whole other issue of the need for revelation. Okay. But my point here is not to say at this point, you ought to be living Christ. That's not what we're talking about right now. But I'm just saying, you know, if all three members of the Godhead work this way, is if the final book of the Bible is revealing Christ as a lamb, okay, if that's the governing power, if that's God's wisdom, that's the power, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that the preaching of the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. If, if, um... If the cross is that which brought the entire old creation to an end, including the sin nature, including the dominion of the law, including the dominion of the enemy, and, you know, brings the, the need for a whole religious system that the Jews were practicing, brings all that to an end and brings something out brand new in Christ Jesus, we can say, yes, the cross truly is central. And it's not something that we do not outgrow or, or get past. It's not something basic. It's foundational in the sense that whatever we build... It must be built upon the reality of the cross. But it is not foundational in the sense of, well, I'm, I've outgrown that. I know that already, and I've moved on to other things. Because the fact of the matter is, you will never move past the cross. Not if you're going to stick with Jesus. Because Jesus hasn't moved past it. In the sense that, for him, it's how he relates to us. Now, he's moved past it in the sense that he's not, like, suffering and bleeding right now. Okay? <laughs> he's not, you know, in any pain, and he's not, you know, hanging on it at this moment. But he, so he's moved past it into resurrection in the sense of his experience. But in his nature and in how he relates to us, he has not moved past the cross. Because it's not just an act to him. It was, it's a way and it's a nature. So the cross is not only central to our redemption, though it is completely central to our redemption. The cross is central to the nature that he's placed within us, this new life. It's central to understanding God's mind. It is the hidden wisdom that will unlock the secret of what makes God tick. It is um, the expression of his highest motive, love. 
1 John 3.16, I think I mentioned that last class. By this perceive we the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So the cross, you see, is absolutely central. And as we begin to embrace this as, okay, I'm beginning to believe that this is true, that the cross is central, it's foundational, it permeates every aspect of a believer's life, then you begin to open yourself up for the Spirit to make this real to you in your life. Okay, and that's where it really gets good. Because you can say all day long, the cross is central, the cross is central, and live contrary to it, and, you know, well, what do I do now, you know? Well, as you open up to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he will begin to explain it to you in the Scriptures and be able to apply it, you know, the, the, the effects of the cross in your heart and in your motives and in your soul, and you'll begin to conform, be made conformable to his death. So, um, having said all that... That's my little spiel on why the cross is central. Um, we want to um, begin to look at now different aspects of the cross and um, make make it specific because the cross is huge and it's, it's, it operates on a very grand scale, but it also operates along very specific lines. And I have found in my own personal experience, and I think that others will concur, that the Holy Spirit tends to move along a certain line of thought so he'll begin to show, show you the cross, but he just won't show you the cross. Okay, here's the cross. He'll say, you're dead to sin. Adam went to the cross. And he'll begin to show you that in the scriptures. And then it'll begin to work in your life. And then he'll come around and he'll begin to show you another aspect of the cross. Well, the cross is what defeated satanic principalities and powers. And he'll begin to explain that to you in the scriptures. And, and so he will usually run along a certain line and he will use the spirit will, and he will usually take you through the scriptures and show you in multiple places to ground you in it out of a multitude of, you know, many witnesses saying the same thing and then begin to put you in situations where you can begin to walk it out. You know, so we're going to look at some specific areas. Um, you know, as we do this, I would hate for you to be too introspective and think that you're supposed to just have all this. Okay, Um, you're not going to have all this. This is a lifelong pursuit. And so I'm introducing and kind of throwing seed out there. And the Lord, something may catch, you know, for one of you, it may be, you know, power of the enemy. For someone else, it may be I'm free from the law. Someone else may be like, oh, man, I'm dead to sin. So there may be a certain area that catches for you right now. And you're free to move with the spirit and learn what he's teaching you. And You don't have to get everything I'm saying. You just need to get what the spirit is saying to you. Okay, but to still just stay open to the other stuff because he will get to it another time with you. And it's not important that I say it now and you listen to it as much as it is important that you stay with the spirit and know what he's saying now. Okay. But as a teacher, my responsibility is to cover this, but the spirit knows where you're at and what you need. So, um, having said that, just, you know, understand what's happening in the, in the, in the order of the class here, and then also understand where you're at and you don't have to get everything I'm saying. Okay. Um, we're going to start, um, with the groundwork and what, makes the rest of the cross work, if you will. I don't know how, uh, how to say it better. But we're going to start with substitution. I will write it on the board. Because I always insist on having a board and then I never write on it. Substitution. Okay, we looked at this a little bit in the first class. So, if there's a substitute, someone is taking someone's place. Okay. In reference to the cross, it's specifically raised to that someone else is dying and not you. (laughs) Someone took your death and died the death that you should have died. Okay. This is the most basic. When I say basic, I don't only mean easy to understand, but the most foundational concept of the cross. It's not the cross if you die for yourself. (laughs) 
Okay, it's the cross if someone else is doing the dying. So in a, in this sense that you know, let's say Jennifer, you know, breaks the law and Nicole steps in and said, "I'll do the jail time." You see, that would be yeah, thanks. That that's a very rough picture, but that would be substitution on the level of the cross in the sense that she deserved it. But if she, and she could have gone to jail and paid her time, but see, that wouldn't have been the cross. The cross is when someone else comes in and does it for you that's, that's innocent of the charge, okay? Um, and there's much more to the cross than this. It's not only that, because the sinner doesn't really go free. You just don't pay for your crimes, but you don't go free either. <laughs> um, but that's another, that's another story for another day. Um, but in, in this sense, um, I think in the story of Adam and Eve, which I believe we may have looked at last week, I don't remember, um, okay, thank you. Or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago is a long time. Um, Adam and Eve sinned, and poor innocent animals paid the price. Okay, they died so that Adam and Eve could be covered. Okay. Anyone know a really good verse about covering sins? Yeah. Yes, that's right. So now we go back to that 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 um, verse two in First John three sixteen. God's love is manifested by the cross. Love covers a multitude of sins. So the motive of the death ultimately has to be by love. So you have an undeserving, guilty person, and you have somebody who's motivated by love to take their death. And that's the cross. Okay, it is. Um, I think the, the the verse in Proverbs actually says love covers all sins, and the First Peter quote of that says love covers a multitude of sins. So, I, and I and I think that it's the, or it's the other way around. It's one or the other. But um, I just love how love covers all sins. <laughs> just you know, take that how you will. I'm not going to get on that soapbox today. Um, though I want to really bad. Um, but the cross, the basics, the basis of the cross is substitution. There is no cross if you don't have an innocent party dying for the guilty party. Okay. It has to be done. It's not only that. Okay. But that's, that is definitely part of it. Okay. And that is the foundation. Everything else that happens, every single thing that the cross achieves is grounded in the fact that somebody died for someone else. Your redemption is never, ever achieved by you paying for it. That is not the cross. That is works. Okay? <laughs> All right. Let's look at Romans. Chapter 5. I was wondering if someone could take the trouble to get me some water. I am so thirsty and my throat is so dry I don't know if I can. It, it doesn't matter. I don't. I don't mind drinking out of a faucet. And um, we'll wait for her to come back because I know she's taking notes. Does anyone have any comments at this time on anything that we were just sharing or questions? I will field questions. That sense of unrest. From like I'm, it's, I'm not measuring up somehow, and I'm worried about my stand. Is that kind of the deal? And not even necessarily losing salvation per se, but I just don't feel like I'm really on solid ground with the Lord, right? Or just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Thank you. Right. Well, I'll tell you that you 
are not alone, and neither is she, that so many believers, and I would, you didn't miss anything. We've just been discussing what we've already talked about so that you wouldn't miss the next point. But um, so many believers, and this is one of the reasons why I'm really harping on the subject, and you guys are going to get so tired of it by the end of this, this, this quarter, but he really put this on my heart that we need to hear it until it, we hear it from the Spirit, the cross because especially in this environment where we talk a lot about christ living in us we can get that mixed up and think that somehow we're obligated to do something but christ living in us that's fruit to the father that's not a work that you conjure up and so we talk about christ in you and let christ live that's fruit to the father you didn't you it doesn't change your standing in the father's eyes that you live christ you're already as redeemed as you're ever going to be you're already as righteous in god's eyes and so the pressure is off in that sense and which is which is so great because when jesus died for you on the cross he did that by love he wasn't obligated you weren't he he didn't owe you or me anything he did it out of the goodness of his own heart and so when you begin to live christ and it comes out of you it's the same thing it's not because you're obligated, because it all might, always must spring out of love when you begin to lay down your life for the brethren. It must come out of that pure same heart that, that comes out of the new creation, that comes out of the new covenant, the new heart. And so anything that God would accept out of us would be coming out of that, not out of, I need to do it to measure up, but here's fruit. Fruit is what? A sign of abundance. A tree can be existing, or a plant can be existing, but there's a, a superabundance of life if it can actually produce something else. Fruit, flowers, seed, that's an abundance of life. That's extra beyond just maintaining. Now there's more because there can be propagation. Yes, Josiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Slim Louie? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Amen. See, that's the truth. And this also, this, okay, another tangent. We were talking about this last night. How do you know if what someone's saying is right? How do you know if a ministry is on track? Do you see the effects of the cross? Do you sense, you know, or is it obligation or you ought to and you have to and, you know, the, the human stress and striving, you know, in a doctrine, in a teaching, in a way that a, a group of believers are moving together. How do you know? Well, is the cross in the midst? Are they operating according to the wisdom of God? Are they, you know, not just and not just like, well, is how much Jesus is coming out of them, but are they operating according to God's wisdom in that? Are they being made conformable to his death and that they are embracing Jesus's death as their reality? You know, is that how they're operating, is saying, I am dead and Christ now lives? You see, this is God's mode of operation. And, and the people that have, his people who have come to it will, will exude, if you will, or emit a certain fragrance. They will emit a certain presence of the Lord because Jesus always comes up out of the cross. <laughs> Wherever he's permitted to express himself, it's going to be in this way, you know. So, um, again, the cross is central. We've just hit several different areas, but... Um, Praise the Lord. Nicole, I'll continue to, to hit this point regularly because I just, it just hit me a few months ago. Um, I think maybe because of, you know, just my, just, it was me he was dealing with, but it tends to be that since we're a group, God deals with a corporate usually and then the individual within that. And so naturally it'll apply across for most people, you know. But because we, so, especially in this particular fellowship, so emphasize the need for it to be Christ. If we don't continue to balance that with our completion in Christ by grace, 
you can really get down on yourself by getting real introspective about what's coming out of me. How am I doing? Oh, that wasn't Christ. Oh, look, they're manifesting Christ and I'm not manifesting Christ. And then there's the comparisons and there are issues. And, you know, and there's, that is only one side of our relationship with the Lord. The other side is he's given you and me a full and complete relationship that cannot be added to or corrupted. And he did it by grace so that we have free access to the father and can be as close to him as we want to be. You know, and we can pursue him as much as we want. And there's not a hierarchy or a structure um, that keep that will or a political um, power play on the part of other believers or, you know, whatever or any type of thing that's going to keep you from just being with the Lord and enjoying him and developing your own relationship with him on the basis of that perfection. And if you have a horrible day or week or month or year and have not related to him properly, you're still in proper relationship with him in Christ. You see, and you didn't earn it. It's not based on how well you're doing or if you, you know, have done everything God told you to do. and You've done it all right. Or if you're one of those Abrahams that kind of needs to take some rabbit trails, you know, either way, you're still complete in Christ. You see, and it is necessary. It is necessary that we all be established in both aspects of our relationship. Okay, it's necessary to be found in Christ as he did the dying and provided a great new salvation and creation in the resurrection. Okay, and we need to be established in that and confident and bold and to boldly go before the throne of grace. You know, boldly, we enter into the Holy of Holies boldly, not because there's something in us that God accepts, because we know we're so hidden in Christ and Christ is all God sees. And as, as, as unreservedly as the Father accepts Christ, with with the same lack of reserve and the same eagerness, he accepts me because I'm a member of his body. And so that has nothing to do with your personal, how much you've read your Bible or what church you go to or if God's using you in ministry or if you committed a really awful sin today. And I don't know how many of you have done bad things since you've been saved, but if you haven't, let me give you a little clue because this is experience. You could do something really bad as a believer and five minutes later, he can just open the word and just blow it wide open. Now, I'm, I'm sure that will be a burr under someone's saddle somewhere because, you know, sin must be accounted for and we can't be seen to excuse sin. I'm not excusing sin. I'm saying that the Lord has so dealt with it that he's relating to you not on what you do. He's relating to you on, your, on, on the basis of his son. And that is what the cross did. And that's why the cross needs to be central in our hearts, as central as it is in his heart. Because it is so central in his heart that you could do the worst possible thing and come before him in faith just like that. Witness woman caught in the act of adultery, who was admittedly dragged before Jesus against her wishes, I'm sure. But what a delightful surprise she had. Caught in the act, dragged through the streets improperly dressed by, you know, condemning Pharisees, thrown down at Jesus' feet in utter humiliation, totally guilty. There's like no defense for her. And Jesus totally blames the other guys, (laughs) okay, because they were relating based on what works. And he was not. He was relating based on the cross. I forgive you. Well, he was about to go across and pay for that. Don't think that forgiveness came free. He paid for that. He paid for her being able to go free. Okay. So centrality of the cross. I'll tell you, it's huge. So the cross becomes central in our faith relationship with the Lord in completion and perfection that's found in Christ to the degree that you are constantly able to, to access that unlimited supply. Just a second. I'll get to you. And then on the other side, the cross working in us so that what, what comes out is Christ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Probably more like all. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. My guess would be that he was quoting from the Septuagint. And um, if I teach how to study the Bible, we'll get into all that. But that was a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. And um, we don't, our translation of the Old Testament doesn't come from the Septuagint. So there are discrepancies in quotations from the Old Testament scriptures. So that's, a, but yes, so that's always interesting because Jesus quoted the Septuagint. So anyone who wants to, you know, dicker about which um, translations of God can, you know, take it up with Jesus. But <laughs> he didn't quote the King James. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, oh, I'm just giving people a hard time. Sorry you went out there. He's bad. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so you see the importance of the centrality of the cross, that it, it is so powerful and so cutting, and it's so terrifying on one level because people start talking about the cross and people's minds start going, ah, you know, worst nightmare coming to an end. Uh, but if you can understand what comes up out of the cross and the greatness of our salvation and how it will overcome and overwhelm you and transform you. And um, so the cross is central in that sense and that it, it's central in that it stands in the middle and everything is gathered into it and comes to an end and then something new comes out and so the cross is the meeting way right there in the middle and then on the other hand the cross is central because it's part of everything that we're about everything that we are as believers comes out of the cross everything that god's going to do in us through our relation you know experiential relationship with him is going to be somehow based in the cross some way or another um, anything he wants to do in the earth is going to be through the laying down of the, of someone's life somewhere for sure jesus's you know but also in the lives of his body, you know, um, everything goes back to the cross in some way, shape or form. And the cross is such a, for a lack of a better way of saying it, a multifaceted tool. It, it hits so many points and it is seen, it can be seen in so many ways. It can be seen as an, an objective work and there stands the cross. And it doesn't matter if nobody embraces the cross or if everyone embraces the cross it stands true for all time in the heart of god and you don't have to feel it you don't have to experience it it's true for you it goes that all the way down to dealing with the soul you know dealing with your affections dealing with preferences and dealing with you know this that and the other and it can be stuck right in between you and another believer so someone you know the two of you are at an impasse and someone has to be the one to give way but it comes in so many shapes and forms um it is so um multi-layered and multifaceted that you'll never ever tire of of um of um learning the cross and knowing the cross in god in god knowing not just you know mental knowing, but in god knowing so um if you listen to all your different classes that you have and if you pay attention while you're searching the scriptures you will notice that most things that are being shared with you somehow have come out from the cross especially around here. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear it when people are talking about the love of God. You'll hear the cross bound up in that. If you're in a Song of Solomon class, that stuff doesn't just happen. Someone paid for that. Those spices, they're costly. <laughs> okay, so, so you know, this, these things have come out of the cross. If you're in a class on redemption, you know, that came right out of the cross. If you're in a class on dealing with um, satanic forces, Stripped at the cross. So these things begin to add up and you begin to realize, or you take the kenosis of Christ class, Jesus emptying himself. Well, that's the cross. So the cross just is going to pop up again and again. And if you start just being aware of it, the Holy Spirit will be able to show you. And the more, uh, the, the more total view that you personally have of the cross in your heart, the more it's going to be able to affect you and the more effective cutting off of the old and bringing into the new is going to be able to happen in you. 
Okay, because on the one hand, there has to be that heart after God that we follow him. You know, I want the Lord. I love you, Lord. I want to soak. And this is kind of a dealing in our church right now. But the fact of the matter is, if the cross isn't applied, the mixture will, there will always be a mixture of the human drive and Christ together. And as well-intentioned as we might be, that's really not what the Lord is after ultimately. Ultimately, there must be a cutting. And so, um, and I know that all of us have experienced this to some degree or another already, or believed into it, or have acknowledged it, or on some level, you are relating to it. But this never stops, okay? This, it just comes back around. And um, it's a cycle. And you will, it's, it's, you know, the finished work of the cross that stands sure for, you know, all ages, you know. Um, but it will also redound back in your heart again and again and again as you continue to walk in the Lord. And it will come about in around a certain way. Sometimes the cross will come uh, before your view in the area of somehow taking you out of something. Like, oh, I'm dead to that. I don't have to be that way anymore. It'll be this brand new area. I didn't know that I could be manipulated by my cousin, Louisa. You know, I'm dead to that whole family manipulation structure. And you can just walk right away from it. Like, and it'll just, bing. And sometimes the cross will come around and it'll be, it'll have nothing to do with sin or your deliverance. It'll have everything to do with how you manifest Christ in the midst of a group of believers. And another time the cross will come around and you see it begins to, to build a view in you of a total cutting away of the old and what is not Christ and what was not intended for you and all the perversion that satanic elements have, you know, been able to work in the generations of your family and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and take you out of that, cut it off and bring you into Christ and the realization of what the supply and the new identity you have there. And then some areas it's going to be you as a son of God manifesting that ruling lamb, manifesting that ruling lamb who rules by death, you know, rules by being the least and the weakest. And so it's just wonderful. It, it just continues and it comes back around. And you, if you don't understand this, you may think, Do I, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to get past this? It seems like, you know, every time I turn around, there's a new area of my life where I'm having to stand my ground and things are coming up in me and it's resisting the cross and it's going, ah, you know, and, and Jesus is being, you know, preached from the pulpit and it's coming hard and fast and here comes the cross and you're going, yes, yes, yes. And then just like in the alien movie, it's like, this thing pops out of you that's like resistant, you know, and it's like, whoa, where is this coming from? And it seems like every other week that's happening and there's something like just spewing out of you, you know, the cross is dealing, it's dealing, it's cutting away and it's cutting away and it's cutting away the old and it's cutting away the old and it's bringing you into Christ. And you can kind of feel a little like, am I making any progress? You know, I'm just getting cut down and cut back and cut off and everything judged and everything's cursed well that's a work of the cross in your life the finished work of the cross is now having effects in you see because when you were and this is i'm jumping ahead again but when you were uh, put on that cross with christ because you died with christ everything died okay but it works out in your heart in time and space so things take time and different things will be brought to your attention very much in the same way as the Israelites marched through the promised land and had to vanquish the enemies one by one. And there was a new fight every time. The whole land was theirs. Jesus said, every place you put your foot, it's yours. Okay? But that doesn't mean that the enemies of the cross aren't going to put up a fight and resist it. So there's a whole season of things resisting. And you can feel like, I have got to be on the wrong path. Or I am like Christianity's most colossal failure. You know, one or the other. And all it is is the work of the cross, doing away with everything. It's bringing it to a, bring it to a head. It's resisting, and it cuts off, and it's vanquished. And then the next inhabitant, you know, and the next inhabitant comes bearing, you know, moldy bread. We're from a far land. We'll be your friends. You know, and you get the gift. 
the, the Gibeonites. Do everyone remember that story in the book of Joshua? Yeah. And then you've got alliances of kings that will rise up and fight you. And there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. It's craziness. But, but ultimately, that's the work of the cross, cutting off what's against, what's against Christ. What's against Christ. And it's, it's, and the experience can get really, um, hairy, but, but the cross stands firm and the cross stands true and what comes out of the cross being able to have its full work in you is a beautiful union relationship that doesn't stay in the heavenlies it actually moves and works and flows through you and um yeah praise god but it it takes time the work is finished but it takes time to work out in you and you have to possess it bit by bit and so the spirit will take you through these um trains or strains or threads of of knowledge of his cross through the scriptures and 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 you'll he probably already is if you hadn't noticed start to notice start paying attention what he's telling you in the different classes i'm willing to bet you can go to names of god class and ministry of the holy spirit class and this class and scott's class on thursday evenings and everyone's saying something different but i'll bet that most of what the lord struck according in your heart will probably be about the same thing even if it wasn't what they said, it's something that the Lord's trigger. He'll use them to trigger what He's saying to you. You know, I'm willing to bet money that that's what's happening because that's how the Spirit works. <laughs> he's always just saying one thing. So, centrality of the cross, <clears throat> the substitution aspect of the cross. Um, now we're going to get back to what I was going to read before you got me the glass of water, which is Romans chapter five, verses six through. Is it six through eight or eight through ten? Six through eight. <clears throat> There are lots of verses that talk about Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross, but this is the one I picked. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. There's that word again. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? And this is really bringing out the whole aspect of the substitutionary work being someone's ungodly and then you have the Son of God. And he died the death that the ungodly thoroughly deserved, no debate, okay? And he, he bore it um, of his own accord voluntarily because he wanted to. Because isn't that what love is? Deliberate affection placed on someone just because? Okay, not out of obligation. So you guys, if he demonstrated his love in that manner, when you just didn't give a flying flip about Jesus or his eternal plan, isn't he trustworthy now that you actually do care? (laughs) When you had no clue what your state was, he took care of it for you. He took care of everything. Everything you're learning about now, he already took care of and did. He already provided it. Okay? It's kind of like it's kind of like if um, a guy and a girl get married and there was a long engagement period, and this is a bad example, but it's what comes to mind at the second, so it, forgive the theological inconsistencies here, but um, they get married, and while they were engaged, he is preparing a place for her. And he buys a piece of property, and he landscapes it, and he builds a home, and he fills that home with all kinds of stuff, okay? It's all for her, okay? And all of his energy went for that relationship, okay? But she hasn't seen it, okay? She didn't see it until they get married. And then they get married, and he takes her home. And she gets to find out everything that he was doing all that time, 
Okay. Now, that's not really theologically accurate, so please don't take it like that, okay? Or don't get offended, like, take it like that and get offended, or take it like that and be influenced by it. My own point right now is just to say that everything that you're finding out about the Lord, it, it's always been there. He did all this ahead of time before you cared, before you were capable of caring, before you were capable of wishing you could care, okay? He did it when you had no heart for him. Okay, that's the motive in his heart. That's what the cross is. Okay, when you were ungodly, it doesn't mean like evil with horns. It just means you had no God. You were without God. You had no God relationship. When, you, when there was no relationship, he did this. How do you think he's going to be when there is one? You know, praise the Lord. So substitution. Um. Let's see, I might read some notes here, just so I actually say something that's for this class. Jesus did something that we could never do. Oh, that's another point. Not only is it somebody else doing the dying, but um, what was acceptable to God was something we couldn't give anyway. Because even if we did die for our own sins, that doesn't impress the Lord at all, because our death would be forced, because, you know, we're going to seek to save and justify ourselves and blame everybody else for what we've done wrong and say it's, you know... It's Uncle Tom's fault or it's, you know, it's um, brother so-and-so's fault that I'm this way or so how I was raised. We're never going to blame ourselves, you know. So Jesus offered the spotless death. So another aspect of substitution is not only someone dying that wasn't supposed to, but the death that is offered is an acceptable death because it's a spotless death. It's a death without selfishness. It's a death without um, agenda. There's no agenda here other than... This just needs to happen. Well, there's there's an agenda, but it's not a selfish agenda, okay? It's not an agenda for him like, oh, good, well, I'm going to die because that way I can, you know, I don't know. I was thinking your next-door neighbor is sick, and um, and and she's got a she's got a club card to some sort of discount supermarket, and you offer to go to the supermarket for her because you want to be able to use her club card, you know? <laughs> See, that's, that's having an agenda. As much as that's a nice favor for your neighbor, that's like having an agenda. Somehow helping them benefits you. But you see, Jesus worked it so that, you know, you wouldn't have to be- you wouldn't have to give back to him if you didn't want to. He's not make, he's not arm wrestling you to the ground and making you get saved. You see, so he did it and, and made it all work just the way he wanted to in his eternal plan of God and then died for you and then said, if you want to, you, you can come into this, which is really great. There's like no manipulation and no arm wrestling and nothing. It's just free. And, um, if you understand the heart behind that, it, um, makes you want to love him. See, the problem is we don't always recognize it. And so we think he's, he, we, we, we assign human motives to, you know, the true God and it's, it's too bad that we do it, but we can't help it. You know, we just need our minds renewed. But anyway, the death, that, the death that he died was selfless and it was full of love and it was, um, without reserve. It was without agenda. It was, it was without hidden motive or self-justification or manipulation. It was a perfect death. And it was the death that, that, um, would be acceptable to the Lord because he didn't want someone dying for our sins that would make us feel guilty for it. And he didn't want someone dying that was going to feel obligated and kind of stomp up to the cross and go, I have to lay down my life for so-and-so again. You know, it wasn't, that's not what happened. I mean, even when they were nailing him to the cross, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have mercy on them. He felt more sorry for them than he did for himself. That's how pure his death is. That's how pure his death is. He's honestly more concerned. He said the, the, the women of Jerusalem who are weeping for him, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves, because you guys have rejected me. And that's way more serious than anything I'm going through right now, because I'm going to be okay in the long run. You know. 
So the death was spotless. It was spotless in a way that we can't fathom because we are so full of hidden agendas. And praise God for the cross because the internal work of the cross does deal with that. But apart from the work of the cross, we can't even comprehend what an acceptable death is. So that's another aspect of the substitutionary work of the cross. It was a death we could not offer. We just couldn't do it. There's, we're just such a pathetic, helpless disaster. You know, we, we, created, we created a situation which denied us a solution. <laughs> you know, we put, ourselves, we put ourselves in a real pickle. And the only way out would be for somebody else to, to bear it in full. And he did. And he did it graciously. And he did it happily. And he did it um, without resentment in his heart and feeling like, why do the consequences of the bad people always get put on the good people? I'm so sick of the difficult people always making it hard for the rest of us. You know, every time so-and-so, you know, is in the group, then we all are, we're always having to put up with this, that, and the other. And I wish everyone would just, you know, pull their weight. Jesus didn't say stuff like that going to the cross. He pulled our weight and didn't even tell us what he did. I mean, that's how gracious he is, you know, spotless death. That's part of the substitution. It was a perfect death because our death isn't going to... Our death is, you know, I deserve to die, you know, suicide, or um, we won't go. It's always so-and-so's fault, so we have to be, you know, executed. <laughs> it's not going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be an execution because we'll go, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, all the way to the chopping block, you know. And um, it's always someone else. It's, it's how my father raised me. You know, that's why I'm a mass murderer. You know, it's always someone else's fault. But So there will never, it will never be a spotless death if it's us anyway. So anyway. Um, Jesus did something we could never do. This is at the root of the cross and our understanding of it, of the cross. Our coming into fellowship with God is based upon something that we could not do. Something that God would never accept from us if we could do it. Okay. He doesn't even want us to try. Okay. He doesn't want you to try to measure up by some, you know, heroic act of sacrifice. He, he just doesn't care about that. We care in part because we love him <laughs> and we really want to please him. And so we're willing to put ourselves on the line. And that's coming from that new heart in us that he put in us because we wouldn't even care if the new heart wasn't alive and well in us, right? Okay. But is not our actions motivated by our strength that he's interested in on any level? Don't turn here. I'm just going to read it to you. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits nothing. I don't care what the level of your sacrifice is, okay? The level of your sacrifice is not what makes you acceptable to God. The sacrifice that God wanted was his son. It was never you. It was never you. And I'm going to tell you something else. He doesn't want your sacrifice even if you weren't a sinner. He still wouldn't have accepted you as a sacrifice. And I'm going to prove it to you in the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Right, right. It's just like perfect by itself. Yeah. Perfect. And that It's okay. It's very beautiful. And, you know, the Lord's speaking to me as much as you guys. This is not... This is not all just flowing through me, like, in day-to-day life. He's talking to me, too, so I'm totally with you on that. The book of Leviticus, the first six chapters, lay out specifically the different sacrifices. Whatever kind of sacrifices that were needed for different occasions can be found in the first six chapters of Leviticus. You have a burnt offering. There's a peace or a fellowship offering. There's a sin offering. There's a trespass offering. And there are other offerings. There's lots of offerings. Okay. The very first offering, okay, chapter 1, verse 1, is an offering called a burnt offering or a whole burnt offering. You take a bowl, okay, and you put it on the altar and the whole thing just, you know, gets reduced down pretty much. I mean, there's some other stuff in there too, but, you know. That offering has nothing to do with sin. Not one thing. The implication would be that just coming to the Lord at all requires the death of a sacrifice. Even if you hadn't done anything wrong. So even when you're doing good, whatever the heck that means, okay, you'd be the judge. (laughs) You still bring a sacrifice, not your death, someone else's death. You still bring a substitute, even when you haven't sinned. Let's see if I can find another one here. The peace offering, chapter 3. In other translations, it's called the fellowship offering. This is also called a sweet savor offering. has nothing to do with sin. You feel like having fellowship with the Lord? I want to spend some time with Jesus. I'm going to go up to the temple. You bring that. Let's see, what do they do? Is it an uh, offered of the herd? That would be a lamb or a goat, a sheep or a goat. You'd bring that goat with you or that sheep has nothing to do with sin. I just want to spend time with the, with the Lord. I want to spend time with the, with the husband of Israel. Well, you just bring that, that creature with you that's going to make the way for you. <laughs> so it's never even, it was never based on you to begin with. And, and it's important to understand the centrality of the cross goes way past dealing with your sins. Boy, this is just how we relate. We relate based on the death of a sacrifice all the time. Not because something's wrong, but because the Lord loves this nature in this way. Okay, and I am willing to bet dollars, money, that even if there hadn't been a fall, that it would still be the nature of the son that the father would require, the death of the son, not the death of humanity. Because he just loves that. He loves, that's why he exalted, remember Philippians chapter 2? After everything Jesus abased himself under, he, came, he became a man, he became obedient, a servant of all men, obedient unto death, obedient to the worst death imaginable, the lowest, uh, the death reserved for the lowest of the low. Because that mind was in him, God exalted him. And it's not because, well, whatever you, know, you give up, God gives you something better. That's not what that is. God is honoring what he loves. He is honoring what is real. He is honoring what is alive. He is honoring what is dear to his heart. Okay. So when you come to Jesus, actually, you don't actually technically come to Jesus. Actually, technically, 
If you want to be theologically correct, you come to the Father through Jesus. You bring the sacrifice with you. Okay. And um, Now, the fact of the matter is, it's already been sacrificed. Okay, you're not sacrificing Jesus afresh. But the fact that they had to do this over and over was to work several things. One is that to, to show them the work wasn't done. But one to show them that's a constant thing going on. The blood is always effectual. The blood is always in action. All the time, it's always working on our behalf. Okay? So... And there are other offerings that are sweet savor offerings. The meal offering is another one. There's no blood there. That's a that's grain that's offered. But um, there are offerings that's just coming. If you just want to spend time with the Lord, then you bring that kind of offering. <laughs> and someone's blood gets shed just for you to be with Jesus. And it happens to be Jesus' blood that does shed. But um, anyway, and then you go into the non-sweet savor offering. Sin, trespass, etc. So anyway, the point being on that is that everything... Every approach, every possible reason you could think of to approach the Lord, somehow the way is made by Jesus' death, a sacrificial death. He didn't do it just until you could do it. Like, okay, I'm mature enough, now I can do it. <laughs> it will always be this way. You will always come through his death, okay, to, Jesus, to the Father. And any good fellowship you have, anytime the Spirit um, moves on the word for you or brings you into a greater understanding of, of the reality of Christ, you know, thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Thank you that my personal experience is so free and easy with the Father and, and there aren't unfinished ends hanging over my head that the, 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 the blood is working effectually right now. You know, even not just because I was wrong, but just because. And, you know, the implication would there then be that he would have died anyway, you know, even if we hadn't sinned. Because that's just how he is. He wants to make sure that provision is made regardless of whatever mess-ups we, we, you know, threw into the mix. <laughs> you know. So that's that's the sacrifice. Now that's, that's his goodness. How many minutes do I have? Okay, good. Then I'll read a little bit more and then... Um, then um, we stop. I'll just write. I'll just read this little illustrative paragraph here. When someone came to the tabernacle or temple to sacrifice to the Lord, did they lie on the altar, pull out a knife, and drive it into their heart? No. <laughs> God did not accept the sacrifice. Did the priest come up, lay himself on the altar, pull out a knife, and kill himself when a common person came to the temple? No. Did he lay down his life for his brother in this case? No. He did not sacrifice himself so that the brother could come know the Lord. Why? Because only the death of the lamb suffices. And this should begin to create a challenge in your heart of what it does it mean to lay down your life for the brother if it's not my death God wants. Okay. Um, one last verse and we'll close. It's back in Romans chapter 5. Sorry to flip around so much today. talking about Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now around here we talk a lot about Christ living in us, but the only reason we are able to let Christ live in us is because we have received abundance of grace based upon a gift of Jesus' sacrificial death, substitutionary death. Living Christ is inextricably bound up with the substitutionary work of the cross. You will never live a free flow of the life of Jesus to your satisfaction unless you are standing firmly on the substitutionary work of the cross. Okay? And that verse says it. 
Romans 5.17. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, that's Jesus dying on our behalf, they shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, any final closing comments? All right, thank you all. You're dismissed for your next class.